Welcome to We're Totally Not Okay, but that's okay. A podcast about the intersection between mass media culture and mental health. I'm Kaylee Legrand. And I'm Tanya Bevan. And we had the pleasure of talking with Canadian comedian Kyle Bottom, who is from Vancouver. Who is also a dungeon master. He is, and if you don't know what a dungeon master is, listen to the episode. Yes. play a game. Anywho, he has a live stream show on the 15th, so if you enjoy the interview with him and think he's as cool as we think he is, go check that out. Aside from that, we're just going to throw the episode to you since we chatted with him for almost an hour. Mm -hmm. He's a super funny guy. We enjoyed it, and we hope you do too. You brought your secrets to Toronto. How long are you here in Toronto? I'm leaving today, so I've just been here for like... This is day three, and yeah, take off, fly home at like six o'clock. And you were here to do shows, or are you doing just the promotional rounds? Mm, I did a couple shows, but mostly just to, yeah, do interviews and promote the album. Okay. Yeah. So your album is the big thing that you have going on right now. Yeah. It's called Dungeon Master, and Tanya and I got to listen to it before <laughs> you came out. I need to say it right off from the top. I. I, I quickly assimilated my own life into the story. Nice. What I saw is that, you know, I think that there's this idea that children follow in their parents' footsteps. Mm-hmm. And I think I also became what I was raised by, which was technology and shows. Mm-hmm. I also became a walking show. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned that your what you were raised by was... <laughs> yeah, television and a Nintendo. <laughs> television and a Nintendo. Wait, what kind of... Was it Nintendo 64? The original. Because I'm, I'm 36, so... Yeah, I like got the... the one where you still like, yeah. it and put it in? Oh, yeah, yeah. Does that actually do anything? You know what's funny is that we always thought, like, we were blowing dust off of the, off of the contacts. Yeah. And so we'd get our mouths really, really dry. But what I found out later in life is that what's actually making it work is blowing little tiny bits of spit onto the contacts because that helps the electricity transfer from the machine to the cartridge. Oh my God. Yeah. So we thought we needed dry mouths to get dust off, but really what we were doing was like getting moist air onto the contacts. How did that, that's like broken telephone through what, an infomercial, but (laughs) like how do kids even start blowing on technology to try to get it to work? That's, it's the only thing that made sense, right? I'm going to start doing that to my charger. I was just going to say, do you not already? Am I the only one that does that sometimes? No, it still doesn't work. I still have to wrap my cord around my phone. You just need a new phone. (laughs) I've tried blowing in like the charge port in the bottom of my phone. Because it gets like pocket lint in it. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing yeah. helps. <laughs> oh man. The best thing you can do is like is like break off a little tiny piece of a toothpick and like excavate the the pocket <laughs> lint out of but you have to be careful not to like, you know, use something metal because that would mess up the, the contacts. Yeah. 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 I was just gonna say, I mean my immediate thought I 
I have, um, I guess you could say, a very cautious mindset, which has been ingrained in me from my military father. I mean, I will literally, every time I step up onto a curb, picture myself not picking my foot up high enough and falling forward and smashing my teeth into the concrete. Oof. So when you talk about like sticking anything into like an electrical port, <laughs> I... I freeze. My fight or flight turns into flight <laughs> yeah, yeah. very quickly. <laughs> Just picture yourself breaking your phone and then going into the Apple store and being like, I don't know what happened. I've done that. I've done that with my yeah. computer. I once dumped, oh, I really hope that this one employee is not listening right now. You know, all our fans in Toronto, <laughs> specifically this one Apple store employee. Um, shout out Amy if you are. But I dumped an entire glass of water on my, my brand new, I think it was this one too. It was a brand new um, MacBook Pro and I completely fried the thing. So I sat there for 20 minutes with my hair dryer trying to, to fix it. And obviously that didn't do shit. No. So I brought it into the Apple store and I'm like, I think I, you know, I left my computer out when my friend had a party. My roommates were having parties and they, I don't know what happened. And like, just tried to like butter up this girl, told all my favorite jokes and she ended up covering the, like they, they I was past warranty yeah. and it, the, there was the motherboard that had to be fixed over a grand I'm like mm -hmm. I don't have that money and so she ended up covering it for me I'm like angels that's great angels coming down like that's my luck with technology yeah but you had the original and the Ninten Nintendo yeah I had the original Nintendo and then the Super Nintendo mm -hmm. um and then you know just progressing down the line I actually skipped Nintendo 64 because I didn't uh I was done with cartridges at that point. Oh, so right. you missed like Aladdin. That was a great game. <laughs> well, Aladdin is your go-to. That was that's, my go-to. Very that's esoteric. The, that's the thing though, is that Nintendo 64 actually had like five good games that had a bunch of like weird kid stuff. <laughs> you just point at yeah. Aladdin, that's a weird thing. Point, yeah. most, most interviews at least start or end with our interviewee pointing to one of us and saying the word weird. <laughs> jealous because I had I loved games I love video games and whenever I go over to friends places I'm like can we can we just play with your Nintendo please I'm like oh god like that's what I do by myself all the time yeah. but I had an Intellivision Ooh. do you know what Intellivision is uh not really it was the video game console of the what decade did my parents grow up it was my dad's when he was a kid so like, was it like before ColecoVision or after ColecoVision I don't even know that. I, I have such a tiny bubble. All I know is in television, but it had the original Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. Nice. So you know the little like what is what are those called? Um, like the little block characters. Yeah, like pixelated little like yeah guys. Um, and so like I really enjoyed that game. Yeah, and yeah. Even though they were pixelated blocks moving around, I was also pet like I'd have nightmares of these dragons that are just like it'd be like <laughs> three oh it's like three blocks of purple and then like sometimes a flashing white that represents its mouth like opening and like going to attack you or whatever. And I would have nightmares of these blobs like like a recharge test coming at me. That's so funny. Even though like one of the controllers didn't even have a disc on anymore, like it was just the glue that originally held the disc and I had to move that. Yeah, yeah. I loved this thing and I would just sit in front of the, the television for hours playing this and that's what raised me too. That's crazy. So how did you... <laughs> how, oh man, it's pointing and laughing again. Uh, how did you come to create an entire show based on Dungeon Master? And for those audience members who don't 
uh, know what a dungeon master is or what game it relates to, maybe you can give a bit of a background on that too. Yeah, so um, the dungeon master is, in a game of Dungeons and Dragons, the person who leads the story, the person who kind of makes decisions about the game and then slowly reveals them to the other players. Yeah, because, so basically in Dungeons and Dragons, you create your character and, um, you know, you can play with like three, four people, but then you need somebody to kind of call the shots and make the story happen. So, um, yeah, it was just like, there's a, there's a fun, like, Dungeon Master joke on the album, and it just seemed like a good kind of central point to tie everything together because, like, I'm a huge nerd and that joke really speaks to me. So, yeah. I just realized it was on a shirt. Oh, yeah, Super Mario Brothers. Speak of the pixelated words. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, see, Super Mario was not one that I had as a kid, so that's all I wanted to play. It was the most basic, boring game that none of my friends wanted to play at their place. I could ever beat. It was Save the Princess. Yeah. And television had, like, Awesome Bob the Plumber. <laughs> yeah, not even. It was like the knockoff version. It was Pac-Man, but misshaped. Oh, yes. Not even, not even like a full circle. Just pixelated. Like, where's his mouth? Which way is his mouth going? <laughs> Where am I? Um. So how how did you get into comedy? Um, I got into comedy. So I started like right out of high school, and I did comedy just like, of you know, for curiosity's sake. And it's one of those things where, well, you're actors, so you know that like once you get on stage and you have like a huge audience of people in front of you, that can either like scare you away forever or it's like you just get the bug you know you get hooked to like the feeling of the adrenaline and the excitement of it all um and so yeah i did comedy for about eight or nine months when i was like 20 years old and then i had a show just go so badly that it like i like i got heckled and like the whole audience was against me um and uh, oh, after that show, I basically, like, I had, like, another eight shows that month, and I just, like, tanked every show. Like, I just went on stage, and just, like, my confidence would just dive bomb, and I would just flatline. Like, the sets would be garbage, and then I would go home, and I did that for, like, a month, and then after that, I just, like, I basically took a break and wound up quitting comedy for, like, three and a half years. Really? Yeah, I just couldn't do it. I just didn't have the confidence for it anymore. So how old were you when you did that? I was like, uh, just shy of like 21 when I took a break. Uh -huh. And I didn't get back into comedy until I was like 25. Mm -hmm. um, and I got back into it just because, you know, like my life had progressed a bit. My confidence was getting better. And I, you know, definitely felt like the draw to get back on stage. And you got back into doing stand-up again. Yeah. And I stuck with it ever since. Has it always been just stand-up, or have you ever ventured into other formats? Uh, I've I've taken like an improv class here and there. I like improv a lot, but it's very different from stand-up. Mm -hmm. like, stand-up is plan everything ahead, and improv is don't plan anything ahead. And those yeah. are like obviously, I actually find improv to be a lot more stressful than stand-up comedy because <laughs> as an anxious person, like planning ahead is what makes you feel comfortable and safe. Okay. Yeah, that's understandable. Yeah. Um, so I've done a little bit of improv just for fun, just to try it out. But yeah, it's basically just been stand-up the whole time. Well, that's funny because I'm opposite. I, I came up in the world of improv. And for me, it's like, oh, Jesus, you have to do like homework beforehand if you're going to do it. Like you have to write. <laughs> I, the first stand-up gig that I had, 
I ended up accidentally improvising the whole thing because nice. <laughs> that was my fallback. That's like where I went. And I got up on stage and it was um, a friend's show where I had a like tight five. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I had material written out, like not rehearsed or anything, but just I knew where I wanted to go with it. Yeah. And I was going to improvise that. But I got up on stage and I'm like, okay, uh, before I get to my actual material, somebody said something else that triggered a story. Right. I'm like, let me tell that story first. I got three, three quarters of the way through the story and saw the red light flashing in the back. I'm like, great. So I made no point of trying to actually do this exercise of stand-up material. Yeah. And like, just did it wrong, quote unquote. Yeah. So you said that you have an anxious nature and getting up on stage, I know the first time that I got up on stage to do improv, I... I felt super confident before I got up there because I came from the world of acting. Like, I know how to be in front of people. I love being on stage. So I thought I'd be comfortable. And I remember getting up on stage and being like, just focusing on how to hold my hands, like how a natural human stands. Yeah. And I remember being like, I thought I was sweating buckets, so nervous and blacked out the entire experience. Don't remember anything that I did. <laughs> and that was my tendency of blacking out my shows and not remembering. Wow. But it was a duality of being super anxious, but also loving that limelight. Mm -hmm. Did you find, do you ever still get any of those nervous emotions when you go on stage now? Um, yeah, totally. It never really went away because the thing with stand-up is that you can't, um, you can't get complacent with your material. Like you can't mm -hmm. just tell the same jokes for like 10 years. Mm -hmm. You're constantly having to invent new jokes and you know, it's, it can, it's still tough. Like 10 years in, it's still tough to know what's funny and what's not because nobody is right a hundred percent of the time. So yeah. that's like, that definitely still gives me a lot of nerves is like the uncertainty of like, is this joke going to fall flat? Yeah. Do you have any jokes that are still from your heyday? From, like, way back when? Nothing from... Like, I still remember jokes from way back then, but I don't I don't tell them. Just because they kind of... They stop being relevant, you know? Because oh. it's like... It's like when something happens in the news and you want to write a joke about it. Yeah. But then that news item is going to be forgotten in, like, three, four months. And so it's kind of, like, stale if you tell it after that. The same thing happens in your life. You write a joke when you're 25 and when you're in your 30s it's not going to be as relevant right because you yeah. had a different point of view when you wrote it do you find do you have jokes that are recyclable in the sense that you can kind of plug a different event into it like do you have go-to formats for your jokes <laughs> or do you find that you're like building those as you go um <laughs> well this is this is gonna sound weird but we like weird. So the only thing that I can that immediately comes to mind when you say that is like basically when I when I met my wife, I took all the jokes that I had about like women that I had dated yeah. and just made them all about my wife. Oh, so how does she feel about that? She's fine because she gets that it's like for context, it's easier to just make everything about one person than to be like one time I dated this uh, person, one time I dated this person, yeah. right? It's like yeah. to constantly you know 
make the audience jump back and forth in the timeline of your life and be like, oh, but this joke isn't about the first person, it's a new person. So you're talking about actual situations that happen, but you literally are replacing it with yeah, it happening with your Yeah, everything is about my wife now. Oh my god. Yeah. So her image in, in media is being shaped in a way that has nothing to do with what actually yeah, happened. Yeah, yeah. And like, she'll, people will ask her about it, like, oh, do you feel comfortable with Kyle doing that joke about you? And then she'll like roll her eyes, she's like, that joke isn't about me. Oh, she's offended, she's like, I wish. <laughs> Are there any other people in your life that, like, have you ever had an uncomfortable situation talking about truthful experiences with people like your family or people in your life and bring that material on stage in front of audiences? Mm. Some things, like, it's tough with stand-up because um, the audiences can be a little standoffish. So you have to actually be careful about how truthful you are on stage Mm -hmm. because you can kind of wind up feeling overexposed, right? Like, you Mm -hmm. can, if you share too much about yourself with the wrong audience, you just you feel like you're like in an uncomfortable space all of a sudden. Like you've just like exposed yourself and now you're So then you're saying there's this like line where you're just always gauging how much people really want to hear about the personal stuff yeah, in your yeah. life. You kinda have to like strike a balance between like what's truthful and what's made up just to be funny and kind of blur that line so that people can't really tell where exactly it is. Right. Because that way everyone can kind of just suspend their disbelief and laugh. Yeah. But if you just get too real with a stand-up comedy audience, they'll probably feel uncomfortable. So, well, on that note, do you think that there are any real, like, when you're talking about writing about things that are happening in today's day and age, in the news, let's, let's say either natural disasters or or human disasters Mm -hmm. do you think that there's a too soon moment for jokes or do you believe that you should be able like that is your job to just push boundaries and to be able to get sooner and sooner and sooner with the right jokes um it's you laugh but like (laughs) i I just you think yeah no i i I mean i don't think there is ever any too soon i just think people are uh just extremely sensitive to everything in life nowadays yeah people are very sensitive but like you could you could draw a graph where basically it's never too soon if the joke is funny enough yes right yeah if the joke is funny enough it's never too soon but the less funny the joke gets the more likely you are to be like... Eh. The longer you have to wait. Yeah. Yeah. Eh, too like, soon. Like, the strength of the joke in correlation to <laughs> yeah. the time elapsed after... Yeah, exactly. Event. It's like, you know, if the joke's not very funny, yeah, there's no point in telling it, like, the day after something yeah, horrible true. happens. So do you feel like you have... Do you ever feel that competitiveness with other comedians about being, being the first to that joke, like, finding the funniest joke to be able to hit a news event? Um, I don't actually feel that kind of, um, like, I don't, I don't get that because while I do like writing jokes about current events, they're such a flash in the pan, like, they stop being relevant so soon that there's not a huge incentive for stand-up comics to do it unless you have, like, a, like, a consistent platform, like, if you have a podcast or something where you know you're you have an audience that's getting your stuff like every week um then it would make sense but like just in a stand-up sense you know it it might take you like three four weeks just to kind of perfect a joke on stage Mm -hmm. and then you've only got like 
the like the golden period of like two months before people forget about that news story, right? So, so it's kind of not worth the effort. Yeah, it's it's essentially unless you yeah unless you have a different platform like a podcast or like a, a weekly show or something like that. Right. How often do you, are you on stage? Uh, fairly often, a couple times a week at least. Um, but I don't really like I don't have any shows that are my own. I just kind of do other people's shows. Mm-hmm. I don't like book. I don't like running shows. It's a huge pain in the ass. It's a lot of work. I mean, it's already a lot of work coming from an improviser to just write your own material yeah. and get up on stage to perform it, but to put together an entire show. Because I've come from that background too, and I've, I used to produce improv shows. Mm-hmm. So, and it's it seemed originally like it would be one of the easiest things to put together because everything is improv. We're yeah. Like, yeah, we'll literally make everything up as we go. <laughs> but I also learned that. Improvisers are some of the most flakiest people. Mm. So, so, like, to even get an entire troop, because most troops are like, someone will show up. So, I'm like, I need somebody from this troop to show up for the show you promised you'd be here for. It is a lot of work behind the scenes. But being being consistent and being able to be up on the stage as much as possible to, to keep yourself relevant, not just your, your material relevant, do you, do you ever find that need or that pull? Um, even if this is like more of an, in an anxious way to like have to get to other cities or do you feel like you have to be on stage a certain number of times a, a week? Mm, yeah, I definitely feel the incentive. Like if um, like I went on vacation recently and I didn't get to do any performances for like over two weeks and like by the time I got back home, I was just like so hungry for comedy that like, you know, we've been home for like five hours and we were like super jet lagged and I was like, okay, I'm going to a show. <laughs> I was like out the door that night and I went to shows for like the first three, four nights that I was home. Even if I wasn't performing, it's just like, just to get out there and just like be in that space. It's like important. recharge? Yeah, totally. Do you say you, are you somebody who recharges by going up and being around that energy and being a succubus for that energy or do you also need that alone time? Mm. Uh, what do you mean, like, alone time? Like, I, I took some quiz that was, told me that I was an extroverted introvert because mm. I'm, I'm like, that person that is super open and bubbly and, like, loves to be around people. And I do, I do go to shows sometimes to just get that high and, and I'll do a show to get a pick-me-up. Mm-hmm. But if I find that, that when I hit those moments that I need to recharge in an introverted way... I also just like completely disregard any text messages. I shut myself off from the world. Like people are like, "Hey, it's been three days since you've called out of that hole. Where are you? Are you okay?" <laughs> like, but like I need that time too, and I find that I need both at different moments to recharge me. Yeah. Whereas some people only need like their alone time and then can go out into the world, or some people like need to go out and be that extroverted person to mm-hmm. be around people and like can't handle being alone. Yeah. Okay. Well, I definitely need both. Then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like my alone time, but I definitely need to the feeling of being at shows, even if I'm not performing, just to be like around other comics. It just like you kind of pick up on the energy, and it's like gets you in a good place to think about your own comedy. Is it a good sort of energy in the stand-up world out in Vancouver? Yeah, we're like one of the we're 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 a fairly friendly comedy scene. That's good. Um, but even even still, there's like definitely like an air of competitiveness. Mm-hmm. Like 
a couple of years ago, a comedian friend and I, we went to an improv Halloween party and it was like 50 improvisers and then it was me and him. And he was having so much fun. And he was like, why don't stand-up comedians have parties like this? <laughs> and I was like, because we all hate each other. Like, we're friendly, but we don't like each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that's kind of the air that I get here in Toronto and other, other scenes that I've been to. I, I think that's why I gravitated more so towards the improv scene, because I really liked the embraceiveness that it had mm-hmm. and, and how safe it felt to like just you go up and you whoosh pickle on stage and they're like it's wonderful you're doing a really great job the audience will always clap and even if it's like unless it's just something horrific like the the worst possible thing you could not hold down in your subconscious and that comes out of your mouth and then you get like a and you feel all the air suck out of the room but it's just that's only happened to me like once a show so (laughs) once per show (laughs) Hey, this is where we get to say anything that we're thinking. No. It, <laughs> it's more like it is. It's a very show. yeah for you. Yeah, <laughs> most of my editing with her in these podcasts is just like kind of the mass amounts of swearing that she does. Nice. <laughs> she talks only every so often, but it's usually just big f bombs. <laughs> f is my favorite word. It is. F is good. How, how do you feel about censoring yourself? Yeah. Or in general, with media? Oh, I'm, like, very cautious about what I post now. Like, because you can get in so much trouble for a tweet. Like, I don't tweet most things that I think of. I'll, like, start writing it, and then I just go delete, and then it goes, do you want to save draft? And I go, no. Really? You don't even save the draft? I have so many drafts. Oh, I I, I would probably have, like, hundreds and hundreds of drafts at this point, but it's, like... It's uh, it's a slippery slope, you know. You you can think that you're saying something really cutting edge and funny, and you might be offside. You know, you might have chosen wrong, and yeah, it's it's tough. Do you ever harp on other people when, like, do you criticize other people's jokes or go online? Do you do any of the what do you call it, like trolling? Mm. No, I like I'll I'll criticize people's jokes like in person in Vancouver if they're bad. Like if people <laughs> yeah. tell jokes that aren't funny, like I'll criticize those jokes. But I've never really like criticized someone for uh, the attempt. You know, like making an effort. Right. Um, even if they even if they fail, it's like ah, it's okay. You were trying. But um, yeah, I just I hold myself to my own standard when it comes to like tweeting and stuff, just because mm-hmm. I don't want to wind up in a situation where, you know, BuzzFeed is like, Canadian comedian ruins uh, Twitter for a day. <laughs> um, right? See, that's something I would, like, would just tweet about myself to see if I can get it going. <laughs> yeah. Like, who even is this? Like, oh, guys, just retweet it. Just do it. Just retweet it. Yeah. Do you ever hold back from, not necessarily when it comes to um, informa- a tweet that you feel is maybe not punching up, mm-hmm. but do you ever find yourself holding back from tweeting something if you just feel that it's just too personal? Do you ever get too afraid to open up that way online? Mm. Or in shows? Yeah, well, yeah, I definitely... I guess in shows we've talked about already, like, getting too personal with the audience and yeah, that yeah. weird, sticky situation. Yeah, yeah. Online? Online? Mm. Like, I, I don't think... You know, I, I would share things online if I felt like it was adding to a conversation, but I don't want to just, like, 
air out my dirty laundry for no reason, you know? Fair. Like, I won't just randomly tweet, like, really personal things about myself. <laughs> Today, my wife and I had, may have been an ex-girlfriend, but we had a fight about this. How would you deal with it? Because obviously I broke up with that, so I'm still with my wife. I found that when, when Tanya and I started doing this podcast, and, um, and I think that this was one of those moments of, like, that same feeling when I was afraid on stage that made me want to push through it and go back and do a show. Mm -hmm. I think I had that same sort of um, tenacity when we started this podcast to, to actually start talking about things that related to mental health because there was still, I mean, I grew up in a household where we didn't really talk about you know, depression or anxiety or those mm -hmm. labels that, that still carry a lot of I hate the word, but stigma around them. And so it's difficult to talk about them because there's already that, that preconceived notion that everybody's coming to the conversation with. Yeah. And, and so I did find that I had reservations when, even when it was sharing, just sharing an article that wasn't even written by me, but it was statistics about mental health for, you know, women 25 to 30 in Canada and, and like suicide rates. And, and I remember thinking things like, what, what are my parents going to think about me if I'm sharing this information? What are people, are people going to be worried about me? And, and I think that that was the thing that made me go, good, maybe that'll start conversation. Maybe they will ask it. I'm like, it's, yeah, either I'm having a shitty day or like, no, I'm actually really fucking great, but we should still talk about it. So in terms of sharing material like that, not necessarily like your own dirty laundry, but um, are there conversations that you try to be a part of or that you try to stay away from because I noticed that you do talk about anxiety in your special yeah yeah um I'm more likely to talk about things on stage than I am to like post things online like mm -hmm. my my Facebook uh has been it's mostly just things that I get tagged in like I don't I almost post nothing of my own right. and it's just like people will tag me when I'm on their shows and then that shows up on my wall but yeah, like I probably like in the last like two, three years probably have like less than like 20 original posts. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like I post almost nothing. Do you find that, um, do you ever worry? These are like all my worries and insecurities. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, do you worry about this? Do you ever worry about you not having enough control over curating your online image or your branding as opposed to letting other people create that for you through tagging you in the things that you're doing? Yeah, um... Or do you just kind of just let it evolve into what it is? It's, it's pretty easy. I mean, it's, it's, like, harmless for me to let people just, like, tag me and post about shows because then it just... All it does is just show people that I'm still doing shows, right? Yeah. Because, <laughs> like... And to hopefully show up to the shows. Yeah. Well, actually, that's the funny thing about stand-up is that, like, after the first six months, nobody cares that you're doing it. Anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, it's the same in the improv world. Yeah. You have to be very selective with the shows. Because you do shows every single night. So it's like, which yeah. ones do I actually care about and want people to come to? Yeah, because you can invite people out. They'll come out once, and they'll be super excited. And then... Well, especially with stand-up, like, it takes a long time for you to build material. <laughs> so if people come see you, like, a month or two later, you're still telling, like, 90% of the same jokes. Yeah. And then they lose interest immediately. So, like, great, I've seen you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's why, especially 
like in the Vancouver community when there's like a when, when like a new comic starts and they've got that kind of like energy where their friends are still coming out to shows mm-hmm. everyone's like book this person get them on your show yeah and then because you know that their friends are going to lose interest very soon mm-hmm. um you try to garner that following yeah but I don't really worry too much about my brand or my image or anything like that I'll probably do like once I get back home from this I'll probably do like a social media cleanse and like delete everything off my phone and just like relax do you actually fully delete like apps and yeah like, I, don't have, I don't have the Facebook app on my phone and <laughs> well Facebook's go downhill anyway just kidding <laughs> <laughs> I tried to get rid of Twitter but it was just like too difficult especially but, as a stand-up that's yeah. kind of your platform I'm assuming yeah yeah but it's, it's just a garbage pile um, yeah. Twitter. Oh, Twitter's garbage. I hate it. It's just well, how, like, you, how is it garbage? Oh, it's just the it's the worst people in the world just commenting on everything. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, do you not like do you not like just like read the responses to people's? Uh, sometimes I'm a very selfish social media user. Yeah. I I love to post and and to control and put things out there and like. I, even when people tag me in things, I'm like, it does not show up until I approve on my wall. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but, uh, but when it comes to, like, reading other people's materials, sometimes, like, I usually do it out of guilt, and it's usually, like, my, my, my stand-up friends, because most of my friends that I follow on Twitter specifically are stand-up comedians. Yeah. That's their platform. And, and every so often, I'm like, I need to see what, what they're doing, and it's, like, specifically fully. But usually, I'm like... I haven't talked to him in a while. I'll just follow him on Twitter. <laughs> like, I don't need to reach out, like, message yeah, him. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, I'll, I'll read their stuff. But I don't I don't find myself, like, going down the rabbit hole too much on social media because I think that that's a dangerous place to go. Yeah. No, like, it's, so, yeah, maybe it is just It garbage. sucks. Like, if you ever want to, like, just get a, a taste of it, just go to Justin Trudeau's Twitter and just t- just tap on anything he's posted and just read the comments that reply to it. So it'll funny be like... you said, like, Trudeau, <laughs> I was going to say, it's the politics, because right now I'm working at a publishing company and they deal with politics all yeah, the time. Yeah. And, like, you have to follow all these politicians. And it is. They are the worst. Yeah. They are the worst politicians. Like, just look at politicians well. Justin Trudeau will tweet something, and then they'll first response... Great job, sir. Second response, I love you. Third response, you're the worst thing that's ever happened in this country, you immigrant-loving scum. Hashtag new president. New president. New Canadian president, please. That would definitely be somebody's post in Canada. Yeah. But is it... What, is it, what does that say about the, the people, not necessarily the politicians? No, yeah, it's it like... It is the people. It's the people. It's the people. I mean, politicians are politicians, yeah, but, like, they're doing their job. they haven't changed in, like, you know, politicians are still doing the same politicians thing they've always yeah. been doing. Yeah. But now, yeah, it's like... Yeah, with Twitter, like, people can just respond, and it's just like, you just... They're garbage opinions. Yeah. That's what makes me want to cleanse. Just get rid of it. I I do I do like the cleansing. I and I'm getting better. I'm getting better at detaching mm-hmm. when I need to. But I still really I'm still trying to figure out how I feel about where we are with technology and and social media in in general because I also come from a journalistic background. So yeah. I I grew up in in J school in a time where content was just starting to go over that tipping point into becoming democratized and, mm. and allowing 
so many more people to have a voice and the gatekeepers were no longer the ones who were the gods in the writing world mm -hmm. it, it, it turned into kind of a free-for-all so at the same time there's that double-edged sword where sure you're able to put out your own voice but the credibility behind every voice is now on a mass scale kind of started to deplete because oh, yeah. it was so difficult to figure out where these credible news sources were and I mean that kind of extrapolates into like look at look at what our media sources are now and look at how we, like where do you go for news and so many people will go to their Facebook wall mm -hmm. instead of reading newspapers are starting to become dinosaurs yeah so as, as far as like being able to create your own stuff like being able to create your own album mm -hmm. would you have been able to do that if you came up in the system 20 years ago um yeah it just would have been way more difficult because I would have had to do almost everything myself. Like, I don't think I would have had a label backing me like 20 years ago, whereas now I do and they handle like everything. 20 years ago, I would have had to like actually get CDs printed and then like <laughs> yeah. sell physical copies. Which people still do. Last time I was down in LA, I came out of a grocery store and yeah, it, it came about mixtape. Okay. But it was yeah, yeah. really, it was, it was really endearing. I'm like, oh, people still do this. He's like, yeah, I'm a comedian and this is my CD. I'm like, really? Yeah, yeah. You have a CD and you're standing outside <laughs> a Whole Foods. <laughs> like, this, you've got gumption. I'm like, yes, I will buy your CD. I don't know if I listened to it, but I just had to support him because it was, it was very grassroots. Yeah. I'm going to get some physical copies made just because like the album has really good art. Like it has four panels of art. Oh, I love and nice. people have only seen the first panel so far. Um, but then, like, people will buy them after shows, because, like, a lot of people still have CD players in their cars. Mm -hmm. So it's something, like, people will buy your album and then, like, just leave it in their car and, like, play it on road trips and stuff. Well, we but, just bought vinyl for after a show. Oh, yeah? But, oh, yeah. <laughs> we don't even have a record player. She didn't even know. She's like, I'll, I'll buy your vinyl and then I'll buy a record player. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was They're, just clear and cool. It was. They're printing my album on vinyl as well. Oh, sweet. they're like, do you want it on vinyl? And I was like, yeah, sure. And they're like, what color vinyl do you want? And I was like, red. Ooh. So yeah, have like a red record. Should be cool. I feel yeah. like that's a good fit. Yeah. Being, are, are you the dungeon master then? Yeah, yeah. So I think it's like a fireball, right? Totally. Are you also the dungeon master when you play with your friends? Um, I've never actually been the dungeon master. The few times I've played Dungeons and Dragons, I've actually had bad dungeon masters oh, because sucks. you have to be a really competent storyteller in yeah. order to um, like lead a group yeah and when i the last time i played dungeons and dragons my friend's older brother really wanted to be the dungeon master and so we let him but he was incapable of telling a story he'd be like okay so you go into a room and you're looking around and you notice that on the mantle, there's a golden cup. Um, okay. And it's just like, you just be like, listen, I actually, we were sitting around a table and I would like, I fell asleep a little bit. And it was at our like shared apartment. And at one point I just got up and went into my room and went to sleep. Oh my and God. then I just heard someone in the other room be like, well, I guess Kyle's dead now, like, in the, in the game. I guess his character died. Is that what has happened? You just became invisible for a little while. Yeah, it's terrible storytelling. Oh, man. That's unfortunate. Yeah. But that's that's the sort of... I'm assuming that he has never done stand-up or he's never gotten up on stage to tell stories. No. Yeah. 
So really, I should make the shift and like become the dungeon master. Mm-hmm. I, I think you should. Yeah. Maybe that's the big revelation that we're coming to in this <laughs> yeah. episode. Yeah. Yeah, you can do that role. <laughs> nice. That's what you do in your in your uh, special. Yeah. Is it? Is, do you consider this? It's your one hour special, or? Um, well, it's shy of an hour. It's like 40, 45 minutes or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's basically like commercials. Just put commercials in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I would love that. Yeah. Um, it's essentially like the album is a good representation of what you would hear if you just went to see me have like a show. Like if I was playing, you know, like comedy bar or something like that, and you came to watch me headline, then mm-hmm. the album is like a good representation of what you would see. And did you piece it together from different shows? Um, it actually, the album, yeah, it's like a combination. It was, um, recorded in two different venues, one in Vancouver and one in Victoria, BC, and there's a couple tracks on the album that are just like in studio, like it's just me and mm-hmm, the storytelling bits. Yeah, me and my producer. Yeah, yeah, like the high school gym one where you like auto tune my singing voice. That's like, <laughs> I loved that <laughs> one because yeah. I sing that song on stage all the time. But like being auto tuned just feels so good. Do you do you have a, a, an auto tuner or something that you can bring on stage? Um, that's like. Well, probably too technologically advanced. There's gotta be an app for that. Yeah, there's yeah. there's yeah. toys you can get that are like auto tuners. I forget what they're called. But I <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, it's like a microphone that auto tunes your voice. I feel like I've seen it. I've played like, with one. I a Toys R Us or something. Totally. Not that I shop often at Toys R Us, but yeah, yeah. but I have. I mean, they've got great board games there. They're going out of business, so we should go check it out. They are. Yeah, yeah. I love out of business sales. Yeah, that's well. Get ready. <laughs> everyone's gonna have one eventually. Well, and pretty much every physical storefront has like a, a closing sale going on right now. Oh yeah, retail is tanking. Everything's online now. Well, you're yeah. like a pure onliner. <laughs> I I am, but I'm also I think um, my my love for things that are vintage coupled with uh, my shopping problems has me. <laughs> drawn to every closing sale and and I have been spending time in Toronto walking around being like literally on I think it was Bloor or something I was going to call you um you Kyle yeah but yeah. our audience members can hear I was going to call you even though you're in Vancouver there was a, a vintage store it was called Gypsy mm-hmm. so I'm like clearly I'm going to go into that you're yeah. a physical store called Gypsy and you're having a closing sale so I'll just go buy half of your store and then sell it online <laughs> do nice. something with it um speaking speaking of being online, did you did you jump onto that that wave when it first started happening, or like did you get onto Facebook when it was brand new and onto Twitter when it was brand new? And are you kind of the person who um, loves to be one of the early adopters of things? No, I'm a late adopter for sure. I got on Facebook fairly early because. Like Facebook was first for like university students yeah. only, and then it became like public. So I think that I've probably been on Facebook for like ten years, like since two thousand eight maybe. Um, but I was definitely slow to get on Twitter, and like I only got Instagram in like the last year or so. But that's like my favorite. Platform. Instagram. Yeah, I love Instagram. Do you do you find it's easier? Well, I guess you can do more visual jokes then. Yeah, yeah. It's just like. Like I was working at a used furniture store and I would get really bored at work. So I would just like make stupid videos. Perfect. And, uh, and I, then like, I don't, um, like I post a lot of pictures of my dog on Instagram, but I don't post any pictures of him on Facebook. <laughs> Is there a specific reason? Yeah. Just because when I got the dog, like my friends were 
a lot of my friends were like, oh, I'm going to become one of those people who just post pictures of their dogs on Facebook. No. And so I don't post any pictures on Facebook. There, all on Instagram. <laughs> Nobody on Instagram said you couldn't. Yeah, I know. Instagram browsers love pets, though. They yeah. really do. They're totally. very, it's weird because it, it, it's so strange how something that is so similar, like Instagram and, and Facebook, in a way, are very similar. It's social media where you can see text and images, mm-hmm. and you're connecting with your circles that you yeah. allow. And yet, the things that people appreciate on one versus the other seem to differ so much, or even just the way that we, I don't use Facebook as much anymore. I think I prefer Instagram more so too, and, yeah. and there, I don't know if it's just because that's kind of like the new wave, and I think that it's, because it's the new thing, the younger generations are more drawn to it, and, mm. and they seem to... Younger generations are always kind of the ones that, that propel whatever is coming out. Yeah. Uh, mind you, I just can't really get into Snapchat. I never have, and I don't know if it's going to... No, I, that kind of tank, too. Like, um, you know, there was that whole thing with, like, Rihanna um, getting mad at Snapchat because... What? No. Oh, Riri? Snapchat. Snapchat ran, like, a very offensive ad. Uh, like essentially like making fun of uh, Rihanna being hit by Chris Brown and so Rihanna was like what the fuck and uh, their their stock plummeted like 10% in like a day that's nuts yeah but people were mad at Snapchat too for something else just like a slight change that they made to the service Oh, I get like that too. Yeah. Like I, even though I don't use all my social media on a regular basis, if there's something that, if I like, I have to change to adapt to it. I'm like, Mm-mm, you're supposed to be the one adapting to my life. Yeah. I'll get angry at it. But that's nuts. That uh, like the kind of, I guess you could say, power that one individual has over something like Snapchat, an entity like Snapchat, mm-hmm. that it, she can cause its stocks to... Pl- I'm sure that... You, I mean, you mentioned there were some other things, other factors. Yeah, like, factors. people were already dissatisfied with their service because of some slight change. Like, I don't like that I can't view mm-hmm. this the way I used to. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all the complaint is. But It won't turn sideways. Yeah, exactly. It's just something dumb like that. My phone, I can't rotate. Yeah, yeah. I actually, that was me. I remember, <laughs> I remember like, um, even just like the dimensions of posting things because I'm also a photographer. So mm-hmm. I get so picky when just like a quarter of a centimeter gets cropped off. I'm like, that was a very important piece of information. Like it's not complete. I know, mm-hmm. I know it's not complete. No one else will know, but yeah. like even a post I put up yesterday of buddy of mine on set and I'm like, oh, but like the whole no one will understand the full setting because the the sides are being cropped mm-hmm. and it's not so con- like technology can make us that obsessive over little things like that yeah but speaking of power um as far as your growth in the entertainment industry goes is there anything that makes you like would you ever be afraid of having re amounts of power uh, or is yeah. that something that you want in your life? No. <laughs> um, <laughs> you don't want to be free. No, I don't. Like, I don't think that. Um, I don't think I would like it. Like, I just don't think I would. Because I. People who are famous just get random. Like, like their mentions on social media must just be insane. Like. Do you read all the stuff that's written about you? Well, yeah, but I'm not. Uh, 
I'm not famous, so I only get like a few mentions a day, maybe. So I just a like, few mentions a day. That's still more yeah, than just, like just I don't know who mentions my mom, but she has Facebook. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I do. Um, but yeah, I just imagine, imagine like celebrities' Twitter feeds must just be chaos. Like must just be like people just you know like at Rihanna, I love you. Please come to prom with me. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that fifty million times a day. True. Like that would just be crazy. Would you know? Would you? If that did happen, do you think you'd be able to tune it out? Mm, I'd probably just quit all my social media at that point. I feel like they have people that do their social media. Oh, yeah, like That's my assistant or something? Yeah. I would have a therapist do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you tell me what you can read to me. That's a great idea. I would only read tweets about me in front of my therapist or on Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, I love that. It's him who does the segment. The, yeah, the yeah, yeah, tweets. yeah, mean tweets. Yeah. Social media therapist will, will definitely be a job in the next couple of years. Ooh. You hear that? I think we, yeah, I just think we found a secondary option for ourselves. Right? Oh, man. That's nuts. Um, is there anything else that you want to mention to your fans here in Toronto or um, specifically any upcoming shows that you have going on? Most of my upcoming stuff is in Vancouver. So, if you have listeners in Vancouver, um, yeah, I have some cool shows coming up, like May 25th in Vancouver, I'm doing, uh, we do a sensory deprivation comedy show, so, so it's a show, it's a stand-up show where every performer has to wear a blindfold, they have to wear earbud headphones that are plugged into, um, a phone that's playing like white noise sounds like uh, waves or rain or something like that uh-huh. and then they wear noise canceling headphones or earmuffs mm-hmm. like that uh, you wear like a construction site or something like that over right. top of the earbuds so all the performers go on stage without being able to see or hear anything and then they just have to perform comedy with oh no feedback God. or no way of telling what's going on. Have you already done this? Yeah, we did one two months ago and I was the first comic to go on with the blindfold and the earmuffs and everything. And the host of the show, unbeknownst to me, brought he like brought me on stage and then he went and he got a saw and a piece of wood and he came on stage and just started sawing a block of wood behind me. Oh and I had God. no idea that he was there. Uh, or that he was sawing. So that sounds awesome. Yeah. So that because I was going to ask when we started talking about this, I was going to ask if you could feel still like some sort of vibrational energy when when audience members would laugh or anything. But if someone's also sawing wood on stage, that would also I feel like that would just disrupt any vibrations that you could get from that. Yeah, that it was like. You couldn't feel anything. And it was great. I mean, especially as an anxious person, it was great to do comedy without having to worry about, like, anyone's reactions at all. Like, nothing I said could get a response from anyone because, like, I wouldn't be able to know what's happening, right? Yeah. Kind of lose that idea of control. Yeah, exactly. You just kind of, like, let go and just have fun. Wow. Um, So, yeah, that's a great show happening in Vancouver. And um, depending on when this comes out, I have a live stream... Uh, event that you can watch online, which will be fun. Cool. Uh, May fifteenth, and it's uh, it's a game show um, that uh, I invented with input from some Vancouver comedians. Um, there's a comedian named Mace Galoni. He's from Hamilton, and he moved out to Vancouver. And he's a very sweet guy. Everyone loves him out there, but he has a very limited palate for food. Like he really likes chicken McNuggets, and he really likes. <laughs> 
like rice and it's bread like and an allergy situation. No, no, he just doesn't eat anything interesting. So <laughs> the the game show that I've invented is called Mace Tries Food, and we're just gonna order like takeout from like three different restaurants that serve like just weird foods yes. that he may never have tried. And uh, yeah, it's me, Mace, and his girlfriend Sophie, and um, together basically we're gonna feed Mace these foods. He's going to eat them, struggle through them, give his feedback on them. And if he can, like, maintain his composure through three main courses and one dessert, um, then he gets a trophy made of his favorite food, which is Reese peanut butter cups. Ooh. Yeah, that's, that's his that's his prize for, for completing it. And so, yeah, that's going to be on May 15th, and you can watch it um, online at 604records.com. If you're on the East Coast, it's at 9 p.m., uh, and if you're on the West Coast, it's at 6 p.m. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. And when are you coming back to Toronto? I don't know. I usually only come out like once a year. Oh, yeah. So maybe sometime next year. Do you do circuits around the U.S. as well? Mostly just across Canada? No, I mainly just perform in Vancouver. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like traveling. <laughs> and I don't really want to go to the U.S. So it's like... Well, just hang out in Vancouver. Thank the virtual heavens. You don't need to physically travel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. People can watch you online. Yeah. And where can they find your album or buy your album? Oh, yeah, you can. It's on iTunes, but you can also stream it on Spotify. Like, that really helps. Like, people, everyone that I've said stream it on Spotify to, I was like, oh, you really need that one third of a penny, uh, right? Because, like, internet streams yeah. aren't worth very much. <laughs> but it helps when you stream it on Spotify because then it bumps up the counter, right? Like, yeah. every track has a has a play counter and so that looks good so mm -hmm. yeah buy it or stream it listen to it for free whatever <laughs> amazing yeah well thank you again for coming out and being with us in toronto right before you fly back tonight thanks and we'll be sure to put everything in the show notes so people can also find um all of your information and your social media handles on what are your social media handles everything's kyle bottom except twitter is kyle's bottom uh, like just with an S in the middle. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Very cool. <laughs> Alright, well, have a safe flight back and we hope to see you soon. Maybe we'll get out to Vancouver and we'll come watch you out there. Yeah, yeah. that sounds great. Okay. Oh, before you go, do you have one cool thing? I know we've mentioned it. We usually do a one cool thing and I almost forgot this segment. What's your one cool thing? So my one cool thing is an online, uh, of course it's online. Um, this is so you don't have to go out and do yoga in front of people or in classes, but I've been trying to get better at yoga and meditation because I've always, that's always been my, let's call it my opportunity to sit with my thoughts and to just like hold positions for three minutes at a time because then you have nothing to do but like go with your own thoughts. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's insane. So talking about like sensory deprivation, I've heard some people actually go nuts inside oh, sensory yeah. deprivation, deprivation tanks. So you are strong, sir, for being able to do that in front of audiences. <laughs> um, but my one cool thing is uh, an online, it's a website called doyouyoga.com. Nice. And I haven't bought into it yet because I'm still going through like all the free sessions that they're offering to see if I like it and so far I really do like it and they have yoga for beginners if you've never done it and they have um different challenges like 30 day challenge to commit yourself to do it every day or the bikini bod challenge or um a, a bunch of different things that um, I still haven't I'm still doing just the initial beginner ones to see if I can just sit with myself. <laughs> nice. So that's my one cool thing for the day. What's your one cool thing, Tanya? I didn't think about one cool things. Pass. <laughs> <laughs>
That's, that's how easily you can pass because my even one, the hosts sometimes no, don't have one. My one cool thing is don't work eight to five for three weeks straight with no weekends. <laughs> don't do that. So it's nice. so, not a one so cool thing. Sleeping. Sleeping's my one thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good thing. Do you, um, have, do you have one? Yeah, sure. My one cool thing is uh, going for walks because. Yeah? Yeah, well, ever since we got a. We adopted a dog like two years oh. ago and. I joke about how, like, I'm the only one who walks them. Like, my wife doesn't ever walk the dog. But it's actually been really good for me because, like, my dog needs a lot of walks, so I take him out, like, three, four times a day. Oh, wow. And, like, just getting out and, like, walking around your neighborhood and, like, going to parks and stuff, it's just, it's helpful. One with nature. Yeah, like, get out, get away from screens for a minute and just, like, hang out. It's pretty amazing how different you feel. Like, I've, I've done that where even yesterday I was... On, I thought I was going to be on set all day and I ended up getting wrapped really early and I'm like, amazing, I'll like do things. And then I found myself for a solid hour and a half just like in front of screens. I'm like, what am I doing? Yeah. I have a, a day available. So I forced myself to get out and go down by the water and it was, it's weird how like it literally can make you feel that like you get endorphins that you mm. don't get sitting yeah. in front of screens listening to meditation music. <laughs> it's not the same thing. There were real birds chirping outside, yeah. which you heard when the window was open before. Yeah. Amazing. Cool. Well, thank you again for being here and safe flight back. Loved thank it. You. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Hi. If you like this podcast, you can support it by subscribing to it on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also leave us a rating or review, which sincerely helps us and we absolutely love. Come hang out with us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And send us your questions, recommendations, and cool things at we're totally not okay at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to We're Totally Not Okay. But that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>